0: Whatever works a year ago, don't depend on it working in the same way today. Analytics people had to get really scrappy really quick, and it's not going to go backwards. It's, it's going to keep going.
1: This holiday season, marketers are facing their biggest decisions at a point of maximum pressure. Delivery fatigue and budget crunch are real and it's leading to complacency around creative effectiveness in digital marketing and that could make or break campaigns. So, What can you do about it? Well, you should read the automated creative white paper called Compounding Creative, an urgent Q4 Wake Up call. So you can get this on this bit.ly link, which is bit.ly forward slash Q4 Xmas 2023. So that is B-I-T dot L-Y, that's lowercase, then forward slash capital Q, number four, capital X, capital M, capital A, capital S, and then 2023. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the shiny new object podcast. My name is Tom Wollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative, the creative effectiveness ad tech platform. But today we are doing a podcast that regularly interviews industry leaders about their journey and their vision for the future of the industry. I'm on a call with Kate McVeigh, who is European Senior Marketing Analytics Manager at Mars. Kate, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give the audience a bit of background?
0: Yeah. Hiya, Tom. So, uh, a wee bit of background about me. I started a marketing marketing degree focused on creative. That was very much where my head was at. But um, I won't say how old I am, but if you go far enough back when data started to be a wee bit more interesting in advertising, started to get into that space. um, And I've kind of just played with different roles, different parts of the industry over the last kind of 16, 17 years. So analytics product management uh media planning i've done agency side i've done platform side with tiktok uh, i've done brand side in a few places so i am sitting as a, a little bit of an unusual person with with a bit of a varied background but yeah still with the love of advertising at the heart of it
1: so you're basically a nightmare in any meeting right you go well when I was at tiktok or when exactly. I was at an agency <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I think it's one of those ones where it's like, you know, uh, if we can't get everyone else in the call, maybe Kate can wear a few different hats right. for everyone Brilliant. else.
1: <laughs> so in that kind of patchwork quilt of a career, what has been the best investment of your own time, your own energy or your own money in your career?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it it probably kind of plays into that, but I would say taking the time and the energy to, to keep learning something new. So... um. I really enjoy not having the same day over and over again, just to to keep my mind going more than anything else, but putting in the energy to learn new skills because the constant shift of of what we've got within the industry right now, and even, you know, it has no signs of slowing down, taking a wee bit of time at the evenings and weekends, learning additional things, spending time with other stakeholders that you maybe wouldn't have normally thought about i think will will make you better at your current job but also is just going to open up a lot more different paths um, and kind of give you just maybe a slightly different set of experiences or perspectives than you're used to so take the time to do it at any age pick up a coding textbook go and sit with a creative team whatever it needs to be to just you know get you out of your comfort zone
1: so how do you decide what to learn are you just like oh i quite fancy learning how to write copy or code or do you have like a kind of the like, specific set of things that you want to learn over
0: time i think it comes from a few different places so sometimes it'll be a meeting that i wasn't expecting was going to be quite as interesting as it was and you know it'll maybe spur something off in my head that uh, in a direction i hadn't thought about previously so It might be where we're thinking about pricing and how that works for media. And then I'll kind of go into a bit of a a deep dive into that and really kind of understand how they all play together for the customer. Um, But conferences are really important, too. I think listening to podcasts, you know, good timing. We're on one right now. But I do find that actually kind of also throws ideas my, my way of what we could try differently, what I should be thinking about. Gen AI is one of the things that keeps coming up constantly. And Madfest this year, I think about 50% of the content was about that. But really helps you kind of know where the direction of the industry is going to be going and and just keeping on top of it.
1: So what is your top data-driven marketing tip, what is that one silver bullet bit of advice that you find yourself sharing most often that's most useful?
0: Yeah, it's probably a bit of advice that people don't want to hear from an analytical person, but whatever works a year ago, don't depend on it working in the same way today. So, and what I mean by that, there's a few different areas there. Data availability is really different. Regulations keep shifting. Customers want more privacy. You got to be on your toes. You have to be a bit scrappy. So you know, if you say, "But I did this with a platform a year ago," uh, why wouldn't it work in the same way? If you're not constantly keeping keeping your mind open to what those shifts are going to be and knowing when they're going to happen, it's probably going to pull you back. So this is uh, a very hard space if you want a really easy life where you can learn <laughs> one thing and keep it calm for 40 years you know um but if it's a space where you just you're really open to changing that perspective like almost on a daily basis it's it's a great space to be it's so deeply uncomfortable for people though so um i'd really encourage people to just like constantly not rely on the past
1: So can you give me an example of something that worked a year ago that doesn't work today?
0: Yeah. I mean, if I think about things like conversions, so where, you know, you've got direct-to-consumer sites, you've got great platforms, you've got, you know, Meta, you've got YouTube and everything, and where you were able to, you know, in the not-so-distant past, understand more about customers that were coming in. There was more on the last-click side. Multi-touch attribution was a bit easier. When Apple um, made their shift with iOS 14.5 and you know, decided to protect customer data um, in a better way, that really shifted what you were able to see with Apple devices, which I'm really in favor of, if I'm honest, as a customer more than anything else. But it really shifted how people had to think about performance marketing and what they had to use that was not actualized but you know that was modeled numbers or that they had to maybe let go of some of the tools or the products that previously used really difficult i think for some companies to handle but analytics people had to get really scrappy really quick and it's not going to go backwards it's going to keep going there's going to be more differential customer privacy so you know everyone needs to get comfortable with this
1: so, we're going to move on now to your shiny new object, which is neurodiversity, which of course is nothing new, but it's a much more new topic than it was. So, why is neurodiversity your shiny new object?
0: So, I am neurodiverse myself. I have dual type ADHD, which means I'm also a nightmare to be in meetings with for another reason. But it's, it's one of the things I think has become particularly dear to my heart. Recently, because there's a lot of things that have been shifting in the media about it, there's actually quite a lot of people in advertising that have a neurodiversity, and I think uh, a lot of you know a lot of managers, a lot of leaders are struggling to understand how to get the best out of it, how to support people in the right way. Not a lot still understood about it, so I think it's you know it's an important topic to call out and and see what we can do to actually unlock some of those superpowers.
1: So how do you unlock your ADHD superpower?
0: So a few different ways. I mean, one of the things for me is if I have a deadline, it will be like a motor sitting underneath me. I will, you know, do anything I possibly can to hit that without a deadline. Could be a bit of a nightmare for me to decide what the focus needs to be, especially if you've got a lot of different things happening. So you know, chunking things out, making sure there's deadlines on smaller pieces to, to get to the overall project is really important for me. But I think the other side is g- genuinely helping my colleagues around me understand, you know, the style of work, um, what will help me kind of drive things better, where maybe more of my skill sets are, like uh, scenario planning. ADHD people will think through so many different. Uh, perspective on any given topic. Uh, they can be a wee bit of a jack of all trades, but sometimes um, meaning they're a generalist, which you can probably see from what I mentioned about my career as well. So um, yeah, I think having those deadlines in place and helping others understand how how to get the best out of me are the two things that I've been leaning on.
1: So how do you work with your own deadlines versus an external deadline? Does that still work the same way?
0: I would probably chunk it out and do about 20 little deadlines just to make it a wee bit easier. So um, I'll still get it done either way, but it, it can become really overwhelming sometimes when you, you know, naturally your way of doing things is the procrastination side of things or the hyper focus right at the very end. So making sure you've got the smaller deadlines and actually even. Asking people to set that accountability physically, writing it down, making it more uh, open of what those need to be is helpful as well. Uh, it also helps you manage the expectations around it because if priorities come up, some uh, neurodiverse folk will work through the night to get it done, as opposed to you know checking in to see can we shift anything around. So I think over that course of time, and certainly with managing neurodiverse people as well, trying to make it really, really clear what prioritizations look like so we're kind of taking care of those people and i'm taking care of myself is massively important
1: Most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So this is fascinating to me. How do you articulate it to your colleagues? Do you like when you meet someone for the first time and you're working on a project together, do you go, "Look, I've got, uh, sorry, I can't remember the exact, you said dual ADHD, sorry for not c- catching up perfectly, but do you <laughs> say that, look, this 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 is my neurodiversity. I love working this way. Are you flexible or do you just let them work it out?"
0: It's a really good question because uh, there's a wee bit of stigma attached to it, I would say still. Um I would say some people I work with now previously don't know at all. Others, you know, are mindful of it on an everyday basis. I would say you probably have to build up a bit of trust. You you have to have that psychological safety to feel like you can say it. I actually think Mars has been really good. You know, neurodiversity is absolutely on. It's on the topic list for their diversity and inclusion more widely. I'm I'm on the, the internal working group on it. When you have that psychological safety, I feel like you can say it to pretty much anyone. But I would say if I'm going to work very closely with someone on a, on a project, I probably will say to them things like, if I interrupt you, I'm not trying to be rude. It might be because I'm really excited about what to say next. And it's you're saying the energy come out, the passion come out. Um, another thing might be, I might jump topic to topic quickly because I've gone from A to Z in my head already without verbalizing it to you. But stop me if you're not following that kind of train of thought Um, but also throw different topics at me because i actually like uh, having variation within things so you could throw 10 different things within it and that will be okay because working on the same thing constantly for long periods of time can can get a little bit difficult to maintain focus so uh variation helps
1: so This seems strange to me, right? Because I would like to know that on day one for me personally, like I had a really interesting experience with a new business lead. Uh, we were getting on quite well. I'm like, oh, we're going to work together and stuff. All that usual conversation. And she said, Tom, what color are you? And I was like, you're what? And there's that, I I can't remember the name of the structure. Like you're a red, blue, yellow, you know, and all that stuff. And she goes, Tom, I'm a red. And I'm like, be brilliant, be bright, be gone. And you know what I was like? Right, cool. So then my every single interaction with her from that point onwards was defined by that. So it's like, I'm going to send her an email, it's going to have like six words in it. I'm not going to say, hello, how are you? That, do you know what I mean? Just like, but I want to know this, yes or no. And, and that interaction worked perfectly. But I think that Certainly from a sales perspective, you tend to come, and come at it a bit yellow, a bit like, hey, sunshine, how are you? <laughs> um, with, but if that's not someone's color, they don't want to be talked to like that, then it must be the most frustrating thing in the world. So um, and, and I want to get more into your insecurity around needing psychological safety. Yeah. Because, it, because it's who you are. and You're on a podcast talking about it, so you're not shy. So is there something in work in culture? Is there something in society? Yeah. Is there something in advertising? that means that you need that safety before sharing like a really important thing?
0: Yeah, I think there's probably a few of those different things. I mean, recently, a Panorama documentary about ADHD specifically and overdiagnosis and almost vilifying people who are, who are diagnosed with it or treating it in different ways. Really difficult for people with ADHD because you know that a lot of people who don't understand it fully are going to sit and watch the something like that for an hour, and then take away a very singular focused perspective. I know uh, a lot of people I know with ADHD felt really unsafe after that. So things like that are difficult, and I think it's been vilified in the press a bit, even just 2023 this year. Um, There's also things like there's a medication shortage right now for um, one of the the largest prescribed ADHD drugs in the world. and it's really difficult for a lot of people in work who are used to having that on a daily basis and don't have that at their disposal right now. And with a lot of other medication um, to come off something very, very quickly would be considered quite dangerous. Support would be there. But a lot of people don't want to share that they are medicated for something like neurodiversity. Um, and I think even from a, a kind of work and relationship perspective, some things are, have been used as jokes in the past. So you could have someone who might be particularly introverted and someone says, I bet they're on the autism spectrum, or someone being slightly disorganized for a meeting, they probably have ADHD, or they have typos in their emails, maybe they're dyslexic. And I think because those jokes are almost um, used as a, I made a mistake, isn't this funny, I might have this condition, it still is quite prevalent. In the workplace today, um, again, I actually haven't seen this quite so much on the Mars side. I feel like it's been extremely supportive, but that does stop you sharing quite a lot. And I, I know that it is quite hurtful to a lot of people who tend to mask on a daily basis what's going on.
1: So, is there? Any kind of agency groups or, or, sorry, industry groups for people with ADHD that you're part of or you could recommend to someone who's listening to this podcast?
0: So, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm part of the neurodiversity um, group within Mars. I sh- I'm sure there are pockets within the industry, but I think there need to be more. And I think it's a little bit around, do people want to sign up if it's wider industry? If they don't know if it's fully supported to put themselves out there? So, as you said, I'm not shy. I'm happy to go to podcast and talk about it because I don't. I it's not a. I don't think it's a negative thing. I think my brain just works differently, but it's also made me good at what I do. So, I also kind of feel like it's important for people with it and neurodiversity to be celebrated a little bit more that actually there are really clear strengths there
1: oh I, I think so massively and I had a really interesting chat with a like a partner of ours he said to me that like one someone on his team came up to him and said I think you've got ADHD then you know, I'm tr- uh, trained to observe it and then he looked into it and he, he realized that absolutely he did and he said it's completely changed his work life but it's also it's changed the way that <laughs> I I talk to him because I invariably see him at, at networking events and the last thing he wants to do is talk to me for half an hour he he wants to talk to me for 35 seconds and then do <laughs> and then do that with everyone else. I'm like, hi mate, how you doing? What's going on? Brilliant, cool, see you later. Whereas I would never talk to someone else like that because it would, I assume that would be rude you know, to palm him <laughs> off. But actually, I know that he wants to fire off like a rocket around the room, having yeah. in these interactions, and he's brilliant at it. So I'm, I'm all, all for getting that stuff out on the table, but I, I understand with those kind of negative comments and using it as the butt of jokes, that that makes it, it difficult for folk. But Kate, we're at the end of the podcast, and it's been brilliant. I've loved it, and I've learned a lot. And thank you for challenging me with these and helping me understand more about this topic of neurodiversity. So if someone wants to get in touch with you mm-hmm. about this or... About your role or whatever it is, where would you like them to do that? And what makes a brilliant message to you that you would actually reply to?
0: Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, I will always look at. uh, Unfortunately, it's one of those ones I will probably see on a daily basis. I think a good message is, tell me what you want from me. Like what? What can I? What can I help with? What can I do for you? It, it just makes it that bit easier for for me to know that you know it's going to be value for you back. So that would be a great way to kick off that conversation. But I'm I'm really open to talking to people about this and and multiple other things as well. But I know people are struggling with this right now as well, especially if they're pre diagnosis or early diagnosis. And um, we, I'm more than happy to chat as someone who you know has a lived experience and I'm, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist but more than happy to share
1: brilliant kate thank you so much for your time thank you hi and i'd love to hear your feedback uh if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think i'm asking the wrong questions anything i'd be super interested to hear what you think so please email me at tom at automated net. that's t-o-m at uh i'm not gonna bother spelling it anyway you'll work it out thanks so much